Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Price of Football podcast with me, Kevin Day, and Professor the Baron Kieran Maguire. Hello. Hello. This is the podcast that follows the money behind the beautiful game, and this is the Monday version of the podcast, so it's your questions. Good weekend, Kieran? Feels like... Doesn't feel like three days since we saw each other. Does oh, it? we're at time. Well, I think we're bonded at the hip these days, Kevin. Yes, because we, as people now know, as I mention it often enough, we're doing four in the same day. We're really it's a kind of podcast sweatshop. It's shocking. Now we've had lots of questions from you, lovely people, um, which is the reason we're doing these specials because there's so many questions to get through. Um, first one is from Sean Hubbard. Hello, Sean. Well, Sheffield United has been mentioned quite a lot on this pod with the shenanigans versus the ground. But what Sean wants to know is the fallout of the ownership battle. The owners have fallen out. So what's the fallout of the falling out? Because especially because the McCabe family, uh, who own part of the club, also own all the club's property. Well, the, the battles between Sheikh Abdullah from, from Saudi Arabia, and, and he he bought half of the club. He, he, I think he bought the share for £1, but he invested £10 million into the club in total. Um, and then you've got Kevin McCabe, who's a local businessman, who, who owns the other half. And that was okay initially, but they very quickly realised that they didn't like each other and struggled to work with each other. So, so it was a personal relationship thing rather than a, you know, yes. artistic differences. Yeah, I, I think uh, Prince Abdullah's team, they felt that they weren't being listened to and Kevin McCabe was doing what he wanted in terms of recruitment, managers and so on. Um and they did have, uh, and this was inserted by a silver-tongued lawyer, a clause which allowed one of them to buy the other half out for £5 million. Is that normal in business? Um, yeah, it, it, can, it can operate like that, especially okay. if, you, if you've got two people who aren't familiar with each other and also if, if you don't think that the business is going to um, make a fortune. So if you and I went into business together what we might say is that over the course of the next five years if one of us starts to lose interest rather than me selling my shares to somebody who you don't know and, and you've got a complete stranger coming into the business you effectively get what's referred to as first dibs um on being able to buy the shares at an agreed price it's not technically called first dibs kieran is it but is that is that could you trigger that clause in the contract regardless of whether it could you just think right he's losing interest I'm triggering the clause, or does it have to be agreed between both of you? Well, it it, it comes down to the nature of the contract. It, it right. comes down to the individual clauses um, and, and conditions. But 
I think they initially Sheffield United wasn't making any money, so neither of them wanted to trigger the clause. But uh, you know, Sheffield United have actually come up from League One. Yeah. Um, so at, at League One level, it, it wouldn't have been made sense. But they got promoted to the uh, to the Championship um, under the magnificent uh, manager uh, Chris uh, Wilder, who's, who's one of my heroes. Yep. Um, Could end up in Europe the way things are going, and, as well. and, and that would be. That would be superb. Yep. I think that would be superb for the Premier League. It would be certainly be superb for, for Sheffield United. I'm not sure Wednesday fans would be yeah. quite so, as gracious uh, about it. So this is a shorter pod, remember. I have to keep reminding myself. How, how is this going to end then for the individuals concerned and for Sheffield United? Well, um, it, it, went to, uh, it, it went before a judge and uh, it became very complicated. Both were making accusations at one against the other. The judge ruled in favour of Sheikh Abdullah being able to buy the shares in the company. But another company owned by Kevin McCabe, that owns the ground and the training ground. Right. And the the way that it works, in my understanding, is that once uh, Sheikh Abdullah has all of the shares in, in the football club, he must then buy the ground and the training ground at market prices. Now, there's two issues here. Um, a, does he have the money? And B, as we've already established, nobody actually knows how much a football ground is worth mm. because we saw Birmingham City last week. They sold their ground to themselves, but they sold it for, for $22 million, and they're three miles away from Villa Park where it went for 57 yeah. which in turn was nothing compared to Hillsborough and, and all the others. So trying to work out the, these figures is very difficult. But also, you can see it from Kevin McCabe's point of view, he doesn't want to sell for £5 million a half share in a Premier League football club, which let's, which is going to be in the Premier League next season. Potentially, it's going to be in Europe as well. So, therefore, it's worth considerably more than five million quid. Um, is, so, is there anything for Sheffield United fans to worry about, or is this a purely internal dispute between two very rich men that won't have any real? ramifications for the club I, I think fans should be relatively relaxed um, Chris Wilder signed a new four and a half year yep. contract last week so that would indicate that he's clearly on good terms with whoever his line manager is and he must have had reassurances from both parties in terms of the ownership um, Kevin McCabe is now considering making an appeal um, and and this could drag through the courts for a further two years Right, okay. which will make lawyers and accountants rich. All right, well, let's move to a club not far down the road. Um, this is a question from David Bassett. Presumably not that David Bassett, <laughs> but hello, David. Um, he's a Forest fan, and I like the way he's put this question. He, he finds their ownership interesting. Now, when you use the word interesting, that's always uh, the antennae starts to twitch. Um, it's owned by Olympiakos owner Evangelos Mariankis. Um he says, basically, uh, and we have discussed this before, how, why are you allowed to own two clubs? And what are the financial fair play implications of the fact that there have been transfers between the two clubs both ways? And it, basically, Dave wants to know, is are those transfers a way of getting around financial fair play regulations? Because they're a club, their previous investor put a lot of money in. They haven't had a manager who's lasted a full season since 2010. So they're, they're quite a volatile club, it seems to me, financially. 
Um, yes, and, and they've lost an awful lot of money um, in recent years whilst being in the championship. The championship is sort of the graveyard of clubs uh, in in terms of trying to break even. Um, they, they were owned by Al-Hazawi, who was a Libyan air conditioning magnet. And, <laughs> and they, I don't they, know what that made me laugh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and and they, they were advertising his company um, on, on forest shirts, which, which seemed a bit strange because there's not a lot of demand for air conditioning in Nottingham. Um, but what we are seeing is many club owners are using their companies through shirt sponsorship because you can potentially nudge up the value of the deal. So, of course, that counts towards FFP. But going into the, the multi-club ownership uh, rules, you cannot have uh, an investment in two or more clubs in a single country. And when we, we discussed this with Bill, Bill Kenwright yes. last year in yeah. terms of him wanting to Just, effectively be generous towards Berry Football Club, and the EFL turned around and, and told him to go away. However, so it was all right, for example, for Du Châtelet to own many clubs across Europe as well as Charlton. Uh, yes, and it's the same with the with the City Football Group, who own clubs course, in China, course, Japan, Australia, yeah. America, India. and Uruguay. Yes, um, bafflingly. Um, so, and the reason for that is that those clubs are not competing against each other. So, therefore, the integrity of the competition and let's face it there's not a lot of integrity in football in many regards but at least when we go to watch a football match here in England I'm pretty convinced that both sets of players are setting out to win you know regardless of whether one team is clearly better than the other and and we as fans we buy into that as well well well, hang on a second what happens if Forrest get into the Premier League get into the UEFA Cup and then play Olympiacos. Then, then there's a potential issue can arise because we, we I think we have seen this with uh, Red Bull. Um, they've got a couple of clubs who are in the UEFA. I, I think U, UEFA will deal with that problem if and when it arises. Uh-huh. Um, but that could be uh, that could be a cause for concern. Um, you know, and, and Olympiacos is is a club in Greece. And um, over the weekend, I think there were there were there were accusations made about the integrity of the Greek League, yeah. which I've been aware of for some time. In terms of manipulating transfers, that certainly is a vehicle through which you can address FFP issues. Right. So if we take a look at the case of Aaron Moy, Aaron Moy was playing for, I think it was Melbourne City. He then went effectively on a free transfer from Melbourne City to Manchester City. They loaned him to Huddersfield Town for a year, so therefore they picked up a loan fee. And at the end of the season, they sold him to Huddersfield Town for around about ten million, so they made a ten million pound profit on the deal as well, right. having picked up the player for nothing. So this is where the accusations arise uh, in terms of the multi-club ownership model. It it makes a lot of sense in in many points of view. It, it allows uh, the City Group to identify a pool of players. It allows them to to spread costs. So from a business point of view. Uh, the, the logic is there. Um, it does happen to also raise th- these issues that we've just discussed. Well, I, I don't think listeners will believe this, but subconsciously you and I are very good because you mentioned Melbourne and our next question is from Australia. Uh, it's all about, Really, people will think, no, you've planned that. We haven't. It's just, we're just <laughs> naturally good. Um, this is a question from Ed, Ed Hall. Uh, who's a Brit living in Australia, and I hope you're safe and well out there, Ed, along with everybody else. Um, he's been trying to get into the A-League, 
Well, and he can't do it. It's just, it's just the standard's not good enough. But his question is it, the, the finances of basically of other leagues, essentially. So how does the Premier League compare to other leagues around Europe? We've we've learned from this pod that the Premier League doesn't isn't financially as big as we perhaps believed it was. But in, you know, is it bigger than the Bundesliga? Is it bigger than Spain, Italy? Where does it rank? Oh, the the Premier League is the most lucrative football league in in, it, in the uh, world. Um, if, if you take a look at clubs in the A-League in Australia, they they will generate as little as £3 million a year. Right. Yeah, that would put them equivalent to a, a League 2 club. Oh, OK. Um, right. the, the biggest clubs might get around about £20 million. Um, that's around about the same as, say, Millwall. So, so that gives you sort of a, a sense of scale. Um, the... The smallest club in in the Premier League last season is likely to be in Huddersfield, and they will have had total income of 120 million, so five or six times as big. Big difference, yeah. Comparing to Europe, the big five leagues, and we're talking you know, here: England, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. Um, some of those clubs are on a par with with the elite clubs, but when you drop down, it very very quickly falls. So so Huddersfield uh, last season they made more TV money from the Premier League deal than Bayern Munich did in in winning the Bundesliga oh. in Germany. So so it's very much dictated to by football, and then you drop out of those five leagues um, and the money in, in the Netherlands and Portugal and so on, unless the clubs are playing in Europe, right. uh, is pretty small. So so Ajax, I think they made 95 million euros last year. So that's what, about 82 million pounds. Uh, that's That puts them, again, below the, the smallest club in the Premier right. League because they're not, they don't have the domestic rights, which are sold for huge prices. And then once you take Ajax out of the equation the rest of the clubs are really scrabbling around. Very briefly, where would Scotland fit in that league table? Um, Scotland is is a classic case of the haves and the have-nots. Um, Celtic, when they qualify for the Champions League and they get into the group stages, then they are knocking, again, still lower than Huddersfield, but not that far behind. Mm. Um, this season, I think they'll be looking at around about the £60 million or £60 million Euro a mark because they qualified for the Europa League. Rangers are narrowing the gap, again, driven more from UEFA participation than anything else right. um you know fans say that we, we sell forty seven thousand tickets uh a week uh, and you know both clubs get magnificent home support but uh in terms of the the ultimate impact that it makes if, if you sell an extra thousand tickets at you know an average of what 400 quid each by the time you strip out vat it doesn't make a huge impact to your top line okay um ed also adds uh, a little ps uh, to his question, which is say hi to Guy, as apparently they used to go to school together, which is very sweet. But you know, come on, Ed, he's on Twitter. Say hello yourself. Don't be using us as a medium for spreading messages. Um, hi, Ed. Hi, Guy. Uh, Jack Smith has asked what I think is a big question, and I suspect I might have to stop you after a couple of minutes on this one, it being a short pod, and we might have to have a longer discussion about it in future because. I think it's a question that, without being specific, we all probably, every football fan in their back of their mind has probably thought of this question at some stage. And, and Jack's question is, why does Yaffe not contribute more to grassroots football? He lived in France for some time and he talked about the the investment there into coaches, pitches, stadiums, etc., which of course is paid off because they're World Cup winners. Well, if you look at funding for football, it comes from 
three or four sources. You've got the the National Football Association. The FA has put more money into football than the French football authorities. But, so that sort of scuppers his audience. (laughs) There was a brief pause there because I'd put my microphone down to blow my nose, but I wanted to say, oh, then realised I wasn't holding the microphone, so... And you can't see my eyebrows going up on, on a podcast. So. Oh, let's carry on from O. Oh. <laughs> but then if we look at the other sources, we've got central government funding. That's been cut. We've got local government funding. That's been fu- cu- cut. Well, it's both, you, yes. yeah, that's a, that, um, both words are equally valid in the circumstance. <laughs> we're all adults here. And I'm, I'm not going to do what Sky always do and draw attention to it. Saying, if you heard, if, we're sorry if you're upset by language you heard from 30,000 football fans here, but you know, you're watching a football match. Um, and then you've got the clubs themselves. Now, the Premier League clubs, they, they do put an awful lot of money into coaching facilities. Now, admittedly, that they are the beneficiaries of that. But the, the Premier League, as we've established, yes, we, we think it's big. It's not as big as an industry as we thought it to be. And you know, for, for every pound that the FA has put into grassroots football, there's been central and local government cuts of 10 times as much. So therefore, the net impact is... Is, is negative and uh, yeah there are I'm, I'm not the FA's biggest fan in, in terms of the way that they they have governance and trans transparency and, and their their attitude toward Berry was absolutely appalling yeah. uh, I don't know if you saw the the DCMS broadcasts mm-hmm. but um, they do invest as much money as as they can generate themselves and they will probably now turn around and say that we're all hypocrites because we've been criticizing them for the the uh, the streaming rights deal with bet365 yeah. which they will say well hold on we're gonna, yeah. we were planning to reinvest that money into yeah. grassroots and now you're, you're you're slagging us off for it so um, to a certain extent that they're damned if they can, they do and they're damned if they don't and they are an easy target yeah. as as is the Premier League itself but they these organizations all put huge sums of money into football but we as voters and this is not party political we have voted over the course of the last 20 years for uh, yeah. we want like we want we want to pay less tax okay yeah. if you want to pay less tax yeah. expect less money to go into football this episode of the price of football is brought to you by the ai powered workspace notion what if you had access to tomorrow's tools today in notion you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone. Whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football, and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Well, also, I think, and um, I'm being a hypocrite here because I thought you would go on for a long time, but I want to add to the content because I think you need to make a distinction between grassroots football and community projects in a way because grassroots football itself isn't as important to clubs as it was 30 years ago because the days when a scout would be walking past a Sunday league game and would, would recommend a player to a non-league team and we would get into a football, they, those days are long gone, but... All clubs, either through the clubs themselves or through the foundations, plus the FA and the Premier League, are putting, as you say, a lot of money, but they're going into sort of community projects around football rather than grassroots football itself, if that makes sense. There is a distinction between football-related mental health charities, for example. You know, a lot of people are using football. In Croydon, there's a young asylum seekers team being set up to help. So, so all these projects are fantastic and brilliant, but they're not technically grassroots football. So... I think people don't often see the work that the Football League and the, and the Premier League and the clubs do because it, it, it isn't visible because, you know, a player might come through the academy, but that's not really grassroots football anymore because the amount of money involved. I mean, it's a convoluted way of putting it, but I think you get what I'm saying. Yep. And, and, and are we being a little bit nostalgic here? Because I remember playing park football about 40 years ago and it was still, you know, the, the, the goalposts were, were wonky. There was loads of dog poo on the pitch, um, and it was you had about two two feet between your pitch and the one next door because yeah. the council were trying to cram in as many as possible. And between you know, I was playing football in in in, uh, in the Manchester League. Um, you know, matches were constantly being waterlogged or frozen, yeah. and and that's not going to change because you can't change these these big big urban areas into 3G and 4G pitches you know, we, we have we have big cities we have big conurbations and they're simply not fit for purpose to convert into something else and also football should be played on grass yeah i quite agree and i'm going to have i'm going to put you down as an elegant midfield player am i right um i i was i was a barnstorming left back were you yeah, yeah. i would never have guessed that in a million years yeah i bet you were the sort though who never carried the crossbar back to the did you no, but I I did used to organise the pegs for the nets and wash the kit every oh, week oh, and organise oranges. Oh, um, but my, my you, should, you should never prejudge somebody, should you? That's right. My my university career was was cut very very short. I, I made my debut. Um, I'm colour blind. We were in red and white stripes. <laughs> the opposition were in green and white stripes, and I was utter shite. <laughs> I was uh, I was the opposite of barnstorming. I was a very slow and steady right back. I was good in the tackle. Once I got there, I was I was quite a fierce little tackle. Solid. It, was, it was the getting there that was the, the problem. We had, in fact, we had a discussion about this. We talk a lot of things about uh, football in the pub before and after Palace games. We were reminiscing about the old days, and one of the lads said that they'd had a conversation about the top 12 players, and I, and I jokingly said, am I in it? And he went, yeah, but only because we couldn't remember 13 players. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, final question comes from Chris. It's 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 quite a technical question, so you'll like this. Um, it, it's in two parts. Now, he's, it's not unusual, as we've discussed, for directors to loan clubs money. Yeah. 
His first part of his question is, if, if the owner or the director turns those loans into shares, does that stop it becoming a debt? Yes, it does. So therefore, there is no obligation to repay. Um, so is, that's, this, is this common practice? Um, it, it has been common practice when clubs then used to try this as a means of making it an FFP contribution. Um, if, if the EFL take a harsh line on this, then I think it will become less popular. But if, you are, if, if you're taking a look at what's happened with Charlton, uh, Roland de Chachelet, he loaned the club £60 million. Now, now last week, um, Charlton converted £20 million worth of loans into shares. So I, I've not managed to get into the full detail of that. But it, it's, it's always good, in my view, when, when you convert the loans into shares except it means that the person who originally loaned the money now has more shares. So if we go and take a look at what's happened with... This is done with the, the, the permission of the person who made the loan then, presumably. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. yes. They, so they'd you, have to agree. Right, okay. But if you think about it, if, if I own 60% of a football club and I've got other shareholders who've got 40%, so this is not dissimilar to what's happened at Glasgow Rangers, yeah. and then the directors have said, well, we've got some loans, we're now going to convert those into shares, that means they've now got... 80% of the clubs and the orig- and the yeah, smaller yeah. shareholders have got 20%. Now, Glasgow Rangers fans, they are very well organised and I think they've got, I think it's Club 1872. Um, they're very keen to have club, I'd, you know, I'd, a, I'd a portion of club ownership. I'd go on holiday there, wouldn't you? Yeah. I'd definitely go to the way things are going, Club 1872. Sorry to interrupt, but I saw the opportunity for a cheap joke and I thought I had to make it. It's my job. Um Carry on. <laughs> but they end up with a smaller proportion of the club. Yes. So that's the only potential downside. But if, if, it's, if you've only got the one shareholder there, he previously owned 100%, he still owns 100%, it, it makes no difference. Yeah, the, the final part of this pod and is the final part of Chris's question. Morally, I think I know the answer to this question, but I think it's a perfectly valid question. And it comes off the back of discussions we've had about Bet365 at Stoke having a lot of money. It comes off... Us, apparently, you know, PSG and Man City are, are, are technically debt-free. And Chris's question is, if, if owners are not leaving a club with debt by spending an awful lot of money, why shouldn't they be allowed to spend money they've got if, if we're guaranteed that, that spending that money won't affect the club? In other words, why do the rich clubs have to abide by financial fair play rules? Because the other clubs have voted against it, right? And, and UEFA, I, I think uh, we we established sort of a, a few weeks ago that the biggest fear of PSG and Manchester City and the other elite clubs is another PSG. So what they've said, we've used those rules. We have we have both put billions in. Roman Abramovich has put billions into to Chelsea. Um, thanks very much for that. And, and now we're now we're closing the trap door. Because we want to win all the trophies ourselves. All right. Okay. Very good. That's, well, that, morally, yeah, that's the answer I expected you to give, basically. Um, thank you for your questions. We will be back on uh, Thursday for our normal pod. The Price of Football is Adapted Production. I'm Kevin Day. The professor is Kieran Maguire. Please leave a review if you enjoyed it. Um, don't leave a review if you didn't enjoy it. Uh, and if you didn't enjoy it, we won't be here listening to you <laughs> some Thursday. Yes, I'll get the days mixed up. They're working us too hard. Working's too hard, Kieran. <laughs> Thank you very much. The price of football. Cheerio, folks.
provide some football.